A win to start the 2023 campaign, largely without Hani Mukhtar, but with a coup de grace provided by the MVP via Jacob Schaffelberg. And you just heard the first goal of the season, Walker's 34th minute strike, courtesy of Keith Costigan on Apple TV. Thank you for joining us on Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage for the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, how good is it to be able to talk about a match again? It's good. I like it a lot. Um, I am a fan of soccer, and therefore, when there is soccer, it's good. Breaking news, Tim Sullivan, fan of soccer. Let's do this at least 33 more times, by the way. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. We heard a lot of concerns, though, heading into this match, heading into this season, about this team's reliance, Tim, on Hani Mukhtar. And then, Hani wasn't in the 11. No Dax or CJ either and yet nashville carried play against nycfc really in an impressive fashion i think especially when you consider yes honey contributed to the second goal but even without that the boys in gold really controlled the game yeah absolutely and it's a situation where they i asked um gary smith about this after the game too they managed to play essentially two completely different types of game they didn't change tactics really but they changed focuses they were really on the front foot in the first half and in the second half they were saying hey nyc Try and equalize, see what happens to you, bud. And it worked out perfectly. <laughs> Bad things happened to NYC. And it was NYC team that was uh, only had three of the 11 starters from their MLS Cup uh, championship uh, 11 back in uh, 2021 remaining on the team. That was a messy sentence, but I think you guys got it. Uh, very depleted NYC team, probably a lot different looking than they will be later in the year. And John Mueller asks a good question we're going to lead with right off the bat. Saturday, one of NSC's most complete performances in his mind. But how much of that was Nashville being a well-oiled machine? And how much was it NYCFC being in a rebuilding state? And John says he thinks it's 70-30 Nashville being good to NYC being a little rough. But he's curious as to what we think, Tim. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a pretty good breakdown. Obviously, um, you know, based on what we said in preseason, I think uh, – the surprise with which people are viewing how well-oiled Nashville SC is is maybe unfair to how good this team actually was last year. But mm-hmm. a big a big part of it was that this team was able to go out and, and implement two different approaches within the same tactical approach. And yes, it, it is a huge deal that New York City is without so many guys. Obviously, they sold Tati Castellanos last year. Maxi Morales has moved on this offseason. So many of their top players are gone. But um I don't know. I'm taking Tylus Magno over anybody on this team other than Hani Mukhtar for the most part. This is a team with a ton of talent still, even if they aren't used to playing as a cohesive unit yet. But Nashville SC looked like the more talented team, 1-11. to Yeah, I mean, Keaton Park's one of the best defensive mids in MLS, too. Looked a step slow consistently against Nashville. And for me, it was about Nashville executing the game plan that we previewed all offseason they would try to execute, which was to use the speed of the wings to get work done in the wide channels and open up space in the attack. So for me, it was Nashville taking advantage of NYC in the way they did. So, yeah, NYC wasn't optimal, but the way Nashville did it reflects, I think, how they want to play. And that's what we're going to talk about a good bit today. In the early shot, we'll get into the stories, tactics, and numbers behind that NYC win. Then a quick preview of action against another New York team, kind of, a New Jersey team in New York Red Bulls as Nashville makes its first road trip of the year. In the mailbag, uh, this was the best played NSC match since when? That's a good question that we got. Also, who drops out of the 11 when Hani is ready to play a full 90 or at least to start? And 
Does the back line have a new enemy? And how should we go about determining who else can be uh, that enemy in future matches? Outside in, if you want to celebrate something unprecedented, meet me in St. Louis. Louis, meet me uh, actually in Austin as St. Louis makes history <laughs> with a 3-2 win over Verde, biggest upset of the weekend. We'll discuss other standout performances from week one, plus an update from the club and country soccer league. And uh final whistle, uh, a special shout out, not just to a friend of the show, but actually a family member of the show. And this time we are not talking about producer Lily, uh, a busy episode, Tim, lots to get into, but it all starts as my match day did this past weekend at ML Rose. And uh, let me tell you that sense of community was really strong. I got to, to Tim Rose about 1115 a.m. For a 3.30 or 3.55 uh, kickoff. And it was full of gold. And I know you've had mm-hmm. a similar experience, whether it was She yeah. Believes Cup, full of red, white, and blue, or other matches as well. This place, 8th Avenue, ML Rose, has really become not just a gathering place, but the gathering place for Nashville SC supporters who want good food before a match. Yeah, and, and from your perspective, Wes, uh, you know, first time not in the booth in, in quite some time, you, you maybe uh, were able to partake in some of the pregame beverages at at ML Rose as well. Well, that was my plan the whole time, right? Like avoid the beer prices at the stadium if I can. Have a couple of drinks at ML Rose. Have a couple at the at the backline tailgate, which was wonderful, by the way. I got to hug Stooks. Stooks does indeed be hugging. Um, yeah, I, I saw I saw the uh, the assembly's uh, Instagram story before the game, and they had they had some pretty nice selections at their tailgate. Um, seemed pretty good. They did. Uh, the problem was that that Stukes very generously offered to go grab me one of those selections and and get a, a, a beer. And the uh, surface was so wet. The grass was so wet that he actually slipped. He comes back with like battle scars, the left side of his pants, just completely, you know, muddy and messy. He was generous enough to go back and get me another beer even after that. Totally above and beyond. And it was great with that and, and going to ML Rose, getting to have a couple of drinks and, and celebrate that community. We saw the bakers there, longtime listeners who said they listened to the show on the way up uh, to the game. It's 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 really cool. And as I told Kate and Logan and Valer and some others at the tailgate, you know, it, it, the past, you know, four years, is that how long it's been? Five years of of calling NSC matches was it was really more about the people and building a community but I never got to see those people on match days. Mm-hmm. It was special to get to spend time with them at ML Rose and at the tailgate. Yeah, and ML Rose uh, will not have muddy floors. That's one thing we can guarantee. You will not slip and fall <laughs> and drop up here. That is indeed uh, an asset. Thanks to ML Rose, it is the place to go for match days uh, home and away. And it was great to see so many folks there and at the tailgate. Uh, but of course, that was before a match that earned Nashville three points to start the season. Schaffelberg making a run forward. Looked up. Looking in that direction, still looked on, still has it. Ball to Schaffelberg, in on goal, 2 0. Instant impact from the MVP, and Schaffelberg has sealed the victory for Nashville. That was Jacob Schaffelberg's match ceiling strike in the 80th minute, kicking off our early shout. That goal assisted by Hani Mukhtar and brought to you by Apple TV. Tim, a standout performance from the Canadian, even if he probably should have had a brace. He missed an early chance in the first 10 minutes on one that was a good save by Luis Barasa, but he'll feel he probably should have made. All offseason, we talked about the wings really being the key to fueling this attack. And based on what Nashville did along the flanks against New York, that was very much the case in week one. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take any victory laps just yet, but I would like to uh, point out, like you just did, that we talked about how important those wingers were going to be. 
Um, kind of the narrative in the offseason that that really nobody on this team could create unless Hani was on the pitch. It, it was it was kind of overstated in the offseason. I would go so far as to say false. And and it was kind of rooted in a desire to kind of be down on this team. And yes, every MLS team's fans are like that. Even LAFC has tons of fans who are, who are down on the team after a double last year. But um, I do think what we saw was what the blueprint is when when uh honey isn't available and often when he is available um you know it, it, situation is such that one guy shouldn't have to do it all the time and um like i asked gary smith and he answered last week hey, if he's if he's gonna keep doing it we're gonna keep giving him the opportunity yep but now you see that it doesn't have to be honey every time right and, and i think that was what we tried to paint that picture of really all off season was that you know, Nashville got a lot faster and and folks at the club were telling us that too in the off season, like don't, don't sleep on the speed along the wings and how that can open things up for this team. That wasn't just our opinion. That was informed by, by discussions that we had with those very close to the team. And then you look at match one and Schaffelberg leads NSC in nearly every attacking stat uh, because of those two pretty much point blank chances, his XG al- uh, alone more than doubled NYC's for the entire match as a team. And so as we get into the Golden Nuggets, let's paint an even clearer picture of that attacking plan and then defensive success for this team. So uh, first off, more than 80% of Nashville's possession, Tim, came on the left and the right thirds of the field. So this is a team that game plan was very clear, right? Get it into you know the, the feet of the center backs, into the central mid and then spray the ball down those channels. And that did a great job of stretching this NYC defense. Yeah. That's what you need to do against a team that is, that is um, talented, but not as well drilled as NYC is, is going to be early in the year. And it plays to what we were just saying, the strengths of how Nashville has built this team, especially when you don't have Hani Mukhtar, um, you don't have a guy who's going to dribble uh, about 60 yards and then dish it off to, <laughs> to Jacob Schaffelberg, <laughs> um, at least not for the first 75 minutes of the game, but playing wide and and using that width of the pitch to your advantage because you now have the speed there is, is, is obviously huge. Yeah, it's big. Um One thing that, that was interesting to me, you know, as, as Shaq Moore leads the team in touches, and half of Nashville's attacking possession comes down that right channel. What's interesting is how high um, Fafa and Randall got, partially fueled by Shaq Moore on the overlap, providing those opportunities. Um, both Pico and Leal averaged a higher position than Teal Bunbury. Schaffelberg played about level with him up the pitch as Teal looked really not just through that stat and uh, in, in kind of that diagram, but also just in watching it through the eye test, very much like a false nine. He was not the talisman at the top. He was often what CJ Sapong likes to do as well, which is to get further back, facilitate the attack. Was that approach a necessity in Hani's absence? Or do you think that as Hani plays a little more of that role, playing back and Mm -hmm. and bringing the attack forward, that maybe the number nine gets a little higher uh, and, and it looks just a little bit different? Yeah, you mentioned that it wasn't just from kind of the, the diagrams and whatnot, but I, I do want to point out, I caution not to read too much into those average positions. I remember there was a USL game where it looked like the two wingers were like standing on top of Lebo Moloto in the middle. And it's like, and people were complaining, oh man, look how crowded this middle of the field is. These guys don't, aren't getting good spacing. But but the reality was that Alan Wynn, and I don't remember who the other one was, switched positions at halftime. The left winger became the right winger. So their average position over 90 minutes of the game 
was in the dead center of the pitch. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, but that said, it, it seemed like Nashville was really willing to rotate a couple different members of that front four into the number 10 position and into the number nine position, too. There were a few times in there where I noticed Fafa Pico, um, even though, you know, when their zooms very far out, he and Teal, both of those bald heads, look kind of similar at times. <laughs> but I noticed Fafa Pico playing the nine at times. Um, I don't think I specifically recall Schaffelberg doing it, but Leal was doing it at times. It was more about that front four maintaining a bit of structure and rotating through the positions. Mm-hmm. And that keeps guys fresh too. But um, and then when you look at the defensive structure, um, Nashville's pretty much always defended in a 4-4-2. Um, not exclusively. There will be times where the striker stays high. It's a little bit more with CJ Sapong, who's who's more laterally mobile than some of the other striker options. But, um, you know, that's going to make it look like, if you know, if Randall Leal is, is playing as one of the two in that 4-4-2, and and forces a turnover that's going to really kind of trick the the eyeball into thinking that he's playing higher in, in all phases of the game where really it is just um you know Nashville defends with two strikers essentially that that's i think totally fair one thing that i really enjoyed was that positional um flexibility that Nashville mm-hmm. showed and that you referenced you know four guys you know playing within that structure but having some freedom what was interesting to me is that that's not always an equation for success early in the year as guys are still developing chemistry with each other but didn't seem to be an issue, despite the fact that Fafa Pico is a newcomer. And just a note on that average position, I don't, I really don't like it through the width of the pitch, but it is interesting through, through, you know, depth in the attack, playing further up versus further back. I think it can give you maybe a little bit, a little bit better indication there. And, and if you, if you do that, you know, one thing I will recommend is you ignore Randall Leal's average position almost completely, um, uh, at least in the width, because he was all over the pitch. What was interesting mm-hmm. was that, um, he he seemed to have total free reign to be pretty much everywhere in that number 10, number eight, but he was rarely in the middle of the pitch. He was pressing in the middle of the pitch in kind of a four, four, two defensive look, but had almost complete freedom to go, to go across the width. And that really opened things up for players like Pico and Schaffelberg. And after the match, Gary talked about the importance of the wings and in particular, Jacob Schaffelberg's preseason performance. Now it led to confidence that he would put forth a similar type of performance today. The hope always was that those two guys were going to offer the sort of athleticism that really stretches back lines opens up pockets for other players. I think we saw that in the second half. You know, Hanny coming into the field, I mean, does wonderfully well for, for Jacob's goal. But the pockets are there, the game stretched, the, you know, the difficulty they have in dealing with the, the energy that we threw at the game, that opened it up quite nicely for moves like that. Um, for Jacob... The pre-season's been a, a wonderful time to really bed himself in and form that relationship with Daniel. Um, his movement, his intelligence, his, his choices of where and when to go beyond and maybe to connect are getting better and better. And I think you'd have to go a long way and we, we're, we're gathering as much data as we can on Jacob's workload, his, his high-speed movements, the amount of them... And they're off the charts. I mean, he is constantly on the move, constantly threatening, and must be an absolute nightmare to deal with for a, for a fullback at the moment. And he's full of confidence, which is great. Interesting there from Gary Tim, and I think 
the the big question we'll get to a little bit later is who in the world drops out of this 11 when Hani's ready? Because Hani's going to mm-hmm. take a spot. Uh, so just previewing that coming up later, is it Schaffelberg? Is it Leal? Is it Pico? Um, Champagne props. Champagne it really props, is. <laughs> it is. It is an issue that Nashville's not always had, uh, maybe not ever had, uh, in terms of the, the strength, the depth of those wings. But let's move quickly to the other side of the pitch. NSC putting together what was, at least by one metric, the best defensive display of any team in Major League Soccer, which is expected goals, just 0.4 of them for NYCFC. They didn't attempt a single shot above league average XG for a shot. Uh, Another couple stats that paint that picture before we get into the why behind it. Nobody in Major League Soccer had more touches in the middle third of the pitch than NYC, but they only sent three passes and zero crosses into the penalty area once they got things into the final third. One more stat, only two clubs in MLS had fewer touches inside their attacking 18. Now, we know, of course, as we've discussed, NYC was missing a lot of its production, more than half of it from a year ago. But on Nashville SC's side, what did they do so well defensively to keep that door locked, even as NYC led in possession by a significant amount? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like you mentioned, a lot of it does come down to NYC. Um, They're kind of shoehorning an elite winger in Tylus Magno into a good, not great striker position. And it shows with the lack of cohesion, but Nashville also was able to say, hey, this guy is a natural winger. He's going to kind of drift that way. We'll we'll kind of trick him into doing that too. Um, NYC is going to get better. But the reality is, is also that Nashville just has really good center backs. It's hard to pass the ball into the penalty area when Walker Zimmerman is there ready to clean everything up um, they have good defensive fullbacks um, we're waiting on a little bit more offense from from Moore and Lovitz at this stage but there's that's going to happen they're really good yeah. <laughs> d- d- uh, attacking fullbacks and it's a really well-drilled structure that like it's hard to kind of say you know what is it what one team did or what the other team didn't do when you know Nashville didn't do anything special they just went out and played good defensive soccer like they have for you know five years now and uh all three in, in major league soccer thus far i would agree nashville was more of what they already want to be which was solid defensively and then catch teams in all in vulnerable spots on the counterattack and use more of the speed you know because they've got more of that this year than they've ever had one of those center backs though that obviously you know is stepping up this year is jack mayer his ascendance into a full-time starting role i i, I guess was was fine it was good i mean it was a clean sheet so Props, that's the ultimate goal. But really, he wasn't tested. Didn't even have to make a clearance in the game. Uh, also wasn't a, a, a game-long liability, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What did you see from what did you see from Jack? I mean, he's he's a fourth-year pro, man. He wasn't a liability. It's not, it's not the bar at this stage anymore. But um, yeah, no, I uh the one question mark that I do have is is that first high value shot that Matias Pellegrini got on um, the one where Tiago Andrade got in behind and pulled it back. He had beaten mm-hmm. Willis. He had Willis one-on-one, yep. um, you know, Pellegrini really should have had a, a shot on goal there. It went way over the bar. Um, Walker Zimmerman was, was sinking to clear the ball off the line because Willis was out and he was communicating to mayor. Hey, this is your man. This is the runner. Uh, mayor clearly didn't get that. Um, they both converged on him and, and Walker slid and kind of made it so that there was not a way to keep the ball on the ground. Mayor was stepping in, um, but he was late. Um, the the reality is he was late. We're really nitpicking a solid <laughs> performance in a yeah. clean sheet game um, for this defense, though. Um, Walker communicated to him after that play. Hey, man, you know, when I communicate to you during the play, let's let's make this happen. Um, but otherwise, it was, it was a solid day um, on the ball. He was very safe with his passing, much safer than he had been um, in either of the previous uh, or in any of the previous years that he had performed. 
Uh, I believe his average uh, uh, vertical depth from passing was 6.31 yards, which his previous low was last year was like 6.8. So, um, you know, some of that is the way New York City plays and and we'll see how he is able to be a little bit more of a of a um, passer that can change the game with his with his long balls or if he needs to, if, if Walker Zimmerman is just able to um, carry that role. But otherwise, yeah, it's a great day for uh, a debut performance on the season. Yeah, another another stat that was interesting that points to the lack of really a lot of tests for mayors. NYC had one of the longest average uh, distances per shot in Major League Soccer. They average shooting outside the 18. Uh, and so you know he'll he'll face bigger tests. But one intangible that I liked, Tim, that I saw a couple of times was him getting after uh, referee Armando Villarreal just a little bit, uh, which, again, a player complaining to the referee is not breaking news. But a guy who's relatively young is sending into that starting role in his fourth season. I think you want to see some ownership. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and just very small sample size. And, and anecdotally, you see a little bit of that from from mayor asserting himself. I think that that can only be. Uh, encouraging uh, only one newcomer played for Nashville, the Nashville team that employed the second oldest roster in MLS this opening weekend, Fafa Pico. And we've talked a bit about the interchangeable nature of his role with Randall, with Jacob and what that gives the team. But just speaking specifically about him, Tim, he fits this team really well, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, we hyped up not just him as an individual, but the addition of him to this specific team for a reason and preseason, right? Um, as much as we love Randall Leal and, and we very much do, Fafa's a different type of player. His speed down the right side really opened things up for Schaffelberg to provide that speed down the left side. It seemed like teams last year were able to say, okay, we'll sink off Schaffelberg. There's not as much of a, a speed threat on the right side. Um, Leal's ball striking created some significant opportunities to play through for both of those guys. And I thought that um, playing him a little bit deeper is is something um, that is possible when you have two speedsters on the wing. It's maybe less possible when you only have one of those speedsters. So uh, yeah, you know, Test passed for sure. Um, hopefully his his minor knee injury is is just that. He stayed on the pitch, so it probably wasn't that big of a deal. Although um, you could say the same for Anibal Gadoy, who did not seem to be feeling well, even though he no. stayed on the pitch as well yeah. um, with his shoulder injury. But yeah, I mean, we had high expectations for Fafa Pico, and um, the first game is not going to be the opportunity for him to completely vindicate or completely erase those expectations. But certainly he met the test and and did what we expected of him. Late breaking mailbag question, kind of relating to um, to Nashville's attack. One thing that Logan uh, Elliott says stood out to him was Leal's performance on the day, uh, teaming up with Fafa and Schaffelberg and Teal. Not only uh, says Logan was Leal a creative spark when Nashville had the ball, but was tenacious and crafty on defense. Sample size is small, the usual club and country caveat. But do we think Leal can contribute significantly this year? Yes, going to answer that one with a yes. And what is his best? position we've we've speculated a little bit on this tim is he a number 10 in honey's absence is he a wing is he a number eight who can track back and and you know be a two-way player where do you see him thriving the most i mean he's he's a little bit of a swiss army knife a costa rican army knife i don't know forget it sure no 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 it didn't work (laughs) i threw it out there i'll take it right back but he can do a little bit of everything he has the skill set um, in attack to to be somebody who wants to take guys on and, and get shots or assists that like a winger, but he's also a guy who has the vision and the passing range to play a little bit deeper on the pitch. He's somewhere that you can play in a bunch of different spots. And um, you know, while you would love to have him, you know, settle in on a spot so he knows where he's going to be every time, it also makes sense to have a guy where the opponent doesn't know exactly which part of his skill set is going to pop up mm-hmm. until they see where he lines up on the pitch too. 
Well, we'll have more mailbag questions in just a minute on similar topics and, and a couple of really fun ones as well. But let's get you ready quickly for New York Red Bulls. Uh, Red Bulls lost to Orlando on the road 1-0 in their opener, but it was a typical KG Red Bulls match. They only allowed one shot on target to an Orlando team that vastly upgraded its roster this past season. By the way, great job by Jamie Watson, a friend of the show, on the color commentary for MLS Season Pass uh, on that game alongside Dre Cordero. Uh, this is going to be New York's home opener. And they're really adept, Tim. They always have been at playing the energy drink soccer and scrambling teams' attacks. They lost to Red Bull Arena. Nashville did in 2021. They drew Red Bulls on decision day that year. NYC, a really good matchup for Nashville based on what we've talked about, the transient roster and all that. Red Bulls, though, in my opinion, not really a team you love facing early in the season before you have a cohesive attacking identity because you know what Red Bulls are going to do. Game one, game 34. Mm -hmm. Press, 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 and ideally Nashville would have had just a little bit more time to figure out its own identity before facing off against this Red Bulls team. Yeah, that might be true, but I'm I'm less concerned about how it relates to where Nashville is in their season. Um, you know, early season jitters or early season jitters. I, I don't think that Nashville is a team that is specifically uh, made up to deal with a heavy press at all 11 positions, which is what Red Bulls are going to do to you, whether it's game one or game 34. Um, it's not Nashville's strength. What worries me specifically is the potential injury to Anibal Godoy that I just mentioned. Um, if he's unable to go, um, the possibility that Dax McCarty isn't 90 minutes fit because you need one of those two guys to play next to Sean Davis, probably. Um, I think Brian Anunga isn't a good fit for that position. Um, Randall Leal, deeper on the pitch. We just talked about it. Um, deeper on the pitch and playing one of those roles that that's, that's uh, we're going to have a mailbag question about this, but I'm going to scoop myself a little bit. That's where he plays with his country. So um, if, if you don't love it, I understand, but I think it allows you to take advantage of some of the things that, that he can do to, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a difficult game if, if you need 90 minutes out of Brian and Nunga though. And that's not because he's a bad player. It's because he's a bad fit for, for playing against this Red Bulls team. But, um, you know, in terms of in terms of, you know, temporal order of the of the season. Uh, yeah, I, th I think uh, Red Bulls are equally bad no matter when they pop up uh, for yeah, this I, team. Well, I think ideally uh, you need two aerial 50 50 winners in those two central defensive mid spot spots against a New York team where they're going to be so many second, third and fourth balls in the air. Mm -hmm. And Randall doesn't necessarily fit that, but he is a ball winner uh, down low, at least, you know, doesn't have the height to, to get up there with with, you know, towering trees in the middle of the pitch. But. I could see it working. I don't think that this is a game where Nashville wants to play through midfield. They want to spray the ball down the flanks like they did in game one and try to skip that. Oh, press. man, I wonder if they have anybody who could sit in the central midfield and do that. Wes. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that's why, why I wonder, actually, if if the wings are healthy, if this actually is a decent tactical matchup for Nashville because they want to skip midfield, which is where the Red Bulls love setting those traps is in your own third and, and in midfield. I wonder if Nashville can use that speed on the flanks to be a strength to leverage on Saturday um, where you're going to need a bit of a long ball approach. And it's probably going to be an ugly one, nothing game that's driven a little bit by, by luck. Yeah. Oh yeah. The midfield is that one place on the field that Red Bulls like to press <laughs> everywhere. But, okay. Yeah. Everywhere they love to press, but that's where they're, you're most yeah. vulnerable against that press. Yeah. No, but I, in all seriousness, I don't think Nashville likes to skip midfield. We've always seen them try to play through, especially Dex McCarty and Anibal Godoy a little bit less. So with Sean Davis being the main guy in central midfield last year, but um, you know, they will, they will do that, especially later. Later in a game like we saw on this past Saturday where they're saying, hey, we can we can kind of skip the midfield a little bit because the opponent is pushing up and, and there's a lot of room for us to counter. But 
the fact that NSC is capable of doing it in a way that um, you know, LAFC is not is not practicing their long ball in the same way that that Nashville FC is able to. So that that can help. Definitely it can help if you want to play. Um, if CJ Sapong is healthy, he was not even on the bench on Saturday. But if he's healthy, he's a guy who's going to go in and battle and win yeah. a lot of those long balls. Um, I don't think you want to get it into a bang it up the front up up to the front and hope contest because that's what Red Bulls are hoping that you do. But at the same time, if you have the opportunities to to sneak those wingers in deep and, and play long to them, actually play um, to feet or play ahead of them, you can really tear apart a Red Bull team if you're if you're able to execute that well. And, and we'll see if Nashville is able to, because um, that's what you essentially have to do unless you have the super skilled, again, LAFC type of players that, that Nashville doesn't have a ton of. Yeah, it's the game Red Bulls wants you to play, but I think in this case, it's not the worst game for Nashville to play either if if they are able to successfully hit on those passes. But we saw Nashville go up to New York and look really discombobulated in a 2-0 loss, granted two years ago, but a lot of the same players in the same style that Gary Smith likes to play. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a tough, hard-charging game, and I, I don't see certainly more than a couple goals happening in this, which of course means it's going to be a 5-3 final. Um, <laughs> moving on to... Uh, to the mailbag in just a minute, but first, just another word for uh, for ML Rose. I uh, actually went with uh, with my brother, who uh, we'll talk a little bit actually about in just a little bit, uh, but uh, enjoyed a game with him for the first time ever uh, in in MLS. In you guys, you guys don't enjoy games. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever. That's not the part that was for the first time. <laughs> Smart Alec. Uh, we uh, we went and took in the game, did the tailgate together, but but ML Rose was great, and and he had great things to say about it too. Uh, so that's your official 104.5 endorsement, I guess, of ML Rose <laughs> as well. Um, but uh, just the 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 menu, just so you know, showed up with loaded fries, started with a beer around, around 11.15 a.m., followed up with a cider uh, with the wings, which cider and wings, that was actually not a great compliment. I uh, should have thought that one through better, uh, <laughs> especially with, with how big the draft list is there at ML Rose. But the wings were hot. They were great. Are you, by the way, do you do, do the drums or do you do the, the other thing with the other the kind flats. of flats? Yeah. I, I like them all. I don't really, I don't really have a preference. I know people like deeply, deeply care about one or the other. Um, but I, I'm this, the, I like, I like fried chicken. Don't get me wrong, but it's a conduit for the, for the sauce for the fair. most part. Totally so as long as, as long as you're sauced up, it's pretty good and sauced up, I guess, in more ways. Than I was one. sauced if have, up. If you enjoy the if you enjoy the draft list as well. I was sauced up for sure. Very sauced up, but fortunately kept my footing unlike Stukes at the uh, at the tailgate. <laughs> uh, I will use this space again as we talk about that sense of community to talk just about a couple other conversations that, that we had before the match. Uh, the Bakers, very gracious. They actually tagged tagged me not knowing I was going to be at ML Rose or maybe they did because they, they were listening to the show <laughs> on the way up. And they said that they said we were listening to the show. What's kind of their pregame routine is drive up from Chattanooga, listen to club and country, go to ML Rose. So um, our whole match, their whole match, the experience, I guess, is sponsored by us. Um, and uh, it's great to get to chat with them uh, and talk a little tactics, of course, and expectations for the match and for the season. And same at the tailgate. It was really cool to, to meet so many of the of the people. I mean, you know, mentioned a few Stukes, Logan, Blair. Uh, Kate saw Steven there, um, the whole crew, really a great conversation with Paige, by the way, uh, who we go way back 20 years to the coach T.com high school football message boards. Uh, he's from <laughs> Hohenwald, lives in Murfreesboro now, and uh, we'll be actually making the trip up to New Jersey for the Red Bulls game. So, you know, ML Rose and the tailgate again, forming that forum for community. And it was so cool to see so many members of the Nashville SC community wearing gold and sitting in the seats at, at ML Rose. 
Yeah, and it's uh, something that I didn't realize that they do. I don't have the chance to drink before <laughs> before the games because I'm going to go sit in the press box. But uh, you posted, you helpfully posted a picture of the outside of ML Rose on Saturday afternoon. They not only have a sign that says pregame with us, which with a notable uh, yellow octagon there, they had a wiggly arm tube guy as well. So hopefully that's hopefully that's for every home game. They have that guy out there saying, hey, uh, you know, this guy's got a, a, a blue crown ish type substance and some blue gloves on his gold yeah. body. You'll be able to find ML Rose if you're driving down eighth south. Yeah, any any good sponsorship is part of a marketing plan, right? I, I do this in my day job, and they do it well because they sponsor this as an entry point into conversations with supporters. But then you're right; they do other things around that. They they are the place, and there's that sign that remains up there on game days for Nashville SC, the Titans, I think it's the Preds, and the Tennessee Volunteers. This TV is going to be on that game. Don't ask us to change it, which I very much love that dependability uh, coming in there. Let's uh, move on to the mailbag, and Kevin Morrison starts us off. He says, I've been highly reflective of the match Saturday, and can't help but think that Saturday was the best football we've seen this team play in quite some time. Do you agree and disagree, and why would that be the case? Uh, first of all, it's called soccer, Kevin. Thanks. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I've kind of pushed back um, all offseason on the idea that NSC was some sort of bad team rather than, you know, some of the things that we've talked about. Um, they were pretty unlucky in terms of converting on, on XG. They had about as difficult as possible a schedule, which also prevented them from betting into their new home, which is where most of their underachievement actually ended up happening last year. And then a bunch of guys missing, missing to injury and international duty last year, and they still finished comfortably in the playoffs. That said. This was a very good game, so don't so don't get me wrong there either. It's gonna it's gonna go back a while to see them play this well against a good team. I think the fact that that they won at LAFC on decision day last year uh, kind of papers over the fact that they were absolutely dominated and Joe Willis put in an all time performance and goal. Um, saved a penalty, saved a bunch of really high uh, value chances. So I'm going to go back uh, a couple months before that um, to the 4-0 thrashing of FC Dallas in August. Um, it, it was a game that Nashville scored, I think, three times in the first half and, uh, again, ended up going on to win 4 nothing. That was a really good FC Dallas team, and I think they showed that, hey, you know, that that was when Nashville really needed to show that we need we're, we can beat teams like this to make the playoffs. And yep. then ultimately by the end of the year, um, it was clear that they were going to make the playoffs too, but um, that was a statement game. And that's the best one that I can think I'm um, going back and um, the not so distant past. Yeah. That was when Nashville really turned around its season. You had that big win. Uh, you had another one that, that I would point to, which was September 3rd of last year, the three nil win over Austin, uh, not only for the performance, but also for the significance of that performance. But mm-hmm. I think the question I'd like to, try to research and ask that I tried to look through is last the last good match they played really without <laughs> Hani Mukhtar starting. And there haven't been many, of course. Um, but I think, you know, I look back to all the way to decision day, 2020, uh, the three, two win over Orlando. And that almost doesn't count because Hani came in and tallied the goal and yeah. an assist to go from two, one down to get the win. I would make the argument Nashville has never played as well as they did Saturday without Hani Mukhtar in the starting 11. And I think that, um, is extraordinarily important to, to be able to show not just fans who are grumbling a little bit, uh, but also to themselves that they are not yeah. a, a team that's going to have to rely, hopefully, on Hani scoring 40% of the goals. Yeah, um, this is the best that they've played without Hani Mukhtar starting and without Jean Dercati's um, scoring a brace, that's for sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you mentioned that awesome game. Um, you know, I've, I've been pr- consistently down on Austin. I think that was about playing it 
team that was overrated and pouring it on late in what could have been a one nothing game. So that was yeah. why I picked the FC Dallas game. But um, we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit more about Austin in a sec. But um, yeah, there's no question that without Hani Mukhtar in the starting lineup, at least this this was as strong a performance, even if it was just a one nothing game until he came in, um, as you as you can basically find. Uh, all right. So that's without Hani. What about with Hani? When Hani comes back, a lot of you had questions about this. Michael Brown and Wesley Bryant, we picked out your questions here. Um, the gist of it, you know, with a healthy Hani, does Nashville change formation to keep Leal, Fafa, and Schaffelberg still starting? And Michael suggests maybe a 4-1-3-2 formation. He says he thinks that Nashville showed Saturday the Wings have the speed to get back on D, even if they play a little higher than in the past. Wesley Bryant, similar question. How does Gary sit somebody in this attack when Hani starts? And is one of Godoy, Dax, and Sean better than Leal and Hani playing at the same time? Um, I think I'll, I'll first of all pick, you know, if you do have to sit somebody, who do you sit? And I think all things being equal, especially going on the road to a place like Red Bulls, experience is going to put Fafa over Schaffelberg. However, fresh legs and, and you know, age means that Schaffelberg is still going to get a lot of those opportunities to play if, if Gary is choosing one or the other. Um, but again, I wonder, and I think we've talked about this already a bit, even, even on this show, but is the world in which Randall assumes that eight role in a 4-4-2 formation with both Pico and Schaffelberg starting on the wings or... Is five attackers in that kind of setup a little too risky for what Gary Smith typically likes to do? Yeah, I mean, Randall has played as one of the holders before, and, and he plays there, like I said before, almost exclusively um, when he is not in a, a cycle of being excommunicated from the Costa Rica national team. I, I, I recommended it earlier in this show already that he played that he plays as as one of the two holding midfielders, especially if if Nashville is is down Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty isn't ninety minute fit. So maybe the player who who comes out of the lineup is is one of the holding midfielders, actually not one of those attacking players. But um, what was uh the main non-scoring complaint fans had most of this offseason Wes. Do you remember? It was depth. It was depth and there's not enough depth at key positions. Mm-hmm. The reality is that some good players are going to sit or play based on individual matchups. There are probably some games where Leal is not the best fit. There are probably some games where Pico or Schaffelberg is not the best fit. The difference is that Nashville C is going to bring that talent off the bench, which they haven't had those calibers of player sitting on the bench in the past. And um, I can't say it's going to be a specific guy all the time because uh, a team that is going to defend in a different way is going to be able to be kind of exploited in a different way based on the personnel that you have. Um, As an occasional change up, of course, you can see different tweaks. um, But I think we'll see something other than that 4-2-3-1 as a base formation very sparingly. And Mm -hmm. who are those wingers and who is the striker? It's really going to depend upon matchups. The biggest non-scoring complaint this offseason, by the way, was not depth. It Beer was, price. It was it was parking. <laughs> oh, so close. <laughs> Beer price is a, a two two B in that. Uh, Newton Dominey, <laughs> also great seeing you by the way at the tailgate on uh, on Saturday. Understanding My the father. small sample size trademark. How many performances like Saturdays will it take to change the narrative around this team? Tim G- Gary did drop a small sample size in the pre- post game press conference. So I think proud. it was a, specifically with a wink in my direction. But we'll, <laughs> of course, well, we, that's up for debate, I guess. Um, you know, like I've I've made it clear that I think the narrative around the team was unfairly negative. Um, and so um, if reality didn't change it all of the previous three <laughs> years, um, you know, only Seattle Sounders have been as successful in their first three years of existence in major league soccer as this Nashville SC team has been. So, so if reality didn't change it, then um, who knows? I do think if they're able to put in a good road performance, whether that's this weekend against the red bulls or a little farther down the line, the next time they come home, 
I think the fan base is really going to be invigorated and in saying, okay, yes, we started dominant at home. Now we've shown we can do it on the road. Let's really see what we can turn this special season into, or if we can turn it into a special season. I think that's when you get the the hearts and minds of the fan base. And that can really kind of change the big picture in terms of how the support in the stadium during games affects the performance on the field too. Yeah, the degree of activity in the offseason should not necessarily be the key driver of narrative. And I think we learned that, that lack of activity could actually be an asset for this team because you can come out and play with chemistry right off the bat. And then the activity that did happen fit this club's needs very well, a la Fafa Picot. And don't forget, Jacob Schaffelberg, not technically a returning player. He was a signing based on the loan. I think there was probably a strong option to buy there. Anyway, uh, nonetheless, uh, it, it counts as activity to me that that fit well. And I think that's why we, and I think a lot of sensible folks in the Nashville SC community said, you know what? The MLS intelligentsia, quote unquote, uh, liberally said again, is sleeping on this team. And that was, in fact, the title of our episode last week. Aaron, should we be concerned with less than two expected goals? And how often does XG actually reflect uh, with goals? I'll answer the first question, no. Um, for perspective, as we await Portland and SKC uh, at time of recording, only four teams in MLS had more than two XG in week one. So at, at least even if you say it's a small sample size, very few teams exceeded that that two mark and Nashville was was actually pretty close to it. Uh, in, in this case, again, and especially over the course of the season, pay more attention to that expected goals differential. You know, your expected goals compared to your opponents. And that's where Nashville was nearly one goal better than NYC in that point nine XGD, one of the best in Major League Soccer. But also a caveat, don't worship XG on a game by game basis either. It's it not only small sample size, uh, but it, but it's a, a much better metric as the season grows and reflects higher offenses performing across a lot of minutes and not just 90. Yeah, don't worship XG. What are you thinking, Wes? No, but, but no. The <laughs> I said that to the is, wrong yeah, guy. Yeah. Sorry. The reality is at, at low volumes, you're just more likely to outperform XG than underperform it. So the average shot this past weekend was uh, 0.122 expected goals or about a 12% likelihood of a shot going in. If you're taking average shots, it would take uh, more than 16 of them to reach two expected goals. So um, when you're at that that low volume against a team like New York City FC, the reality is if you score two goals, you are you are almost certain to to be outperforming XG. It's it's in games where um you know there are you know faster paces of play or more attacking opportunities that you that you end up underperforming it. Um like you said, Wes, the numbers are going to balance out over the course of the season for the most part. Um to use a statistical fallacy that is very common in baseball. Nashville was quote unquote due uh for some overachievement <laughs> there, but um uh, one, one other thing that I want to add is is uh, something that you brought up there, which is the expected goal differential is is more important, but it's also important to keep an eye on what the game states are. Mm. Nashville scored on a, a reasonably low uh, quality shot per the expected goals. It was you know it was not a full expected goal, that's for sure. Um, but when that happens, you aren't going to be pushing forward and, and kind of racking up those those little miniature XGs, uh, those, you know, those 0.122 per shot over the course of the game, because you are sitting on a lead um, and you can definitely get a golden chance later, as we saw for Nashville SC. But it's you aren't chipping away at it in the same way that kind of makes XG a little bit more able to correlate uh, with its uh, kind of even game state counterpart all fair and i'm glad you got a baseball mention in there so we could talk about steve cavendish's future favorite team the nashville stars which are undoubtedly <laughs> coming to nashville right steve <laughs> oh he's gonna be pissed get ready for the dm 
Uh, Wesley Bryant, Walker score. Shaq looked impressive, both in the opening game that was nationally televised, both, of course, World Cup U.S. men's national team players. Only Seattle had multiple in addition to Nashville. Is Nashville SC America's team now? Shouldn't we be? Yeah, there's a legit chance that there's like a cult of personality around Walker Zimmerman <laughs> that wins over USMNT fans or like the soccer curious fan that's more of a general sports fan that doesn't yet have an MLS team. He's got like that firing, fiery and exciting personality. The way he plays is exciting as well. Uh, I think that's something that, that fans can appreciate. I um, I think people who are more uh, experienced USMNT fans are probably a little bit down on Shaq after uh, he did not have a great performance in the World Cup. Yeah. But the only way to change the narrative is to have additional performances like he had on Saturday. So Shaq, it's right in front of you. Go do it. Uh, and yeah, maybe fans, if they keep watching Nashville, but I think, you know, beyond that individual talent they recognize with the U.S. Men's National Team. Nashville is kind of, again, stereotyped as one of the you know less sexy teams. They're put in the RSL, Colorado, Vancouver category unfairly uh, by many. And so you can't be America's team if America's watching other teams a little more, I guess. Uh, this was my favorite part. Uh, other than the scoreline of the match. Maxime Cheneau getting booed every time he touched the ball after about the 35th minute due to some uh, maybe uh, embellishment there. And, and of course, the hard hit late in the match of Hani Mukhtar that drew the ire of Gary Smith, called it cowardly in the postgame presser. A couple questions there. Luke Blackman, will Maxime Cheneau now be booed every time he comes back to Nashville? And Harrison Hall, is there a stat measuring the amount of mistakes made on ball? And could we use that to pinpoint a player on each opposing team to boo like Cheneau each touch and potentially create chances? And before you answer this, Tim, in a much better way than I will, I loved it. I thought it was a sign of of growth and progression among uh, the fan base that they're you're pinpointing one player, identifying every time he has the ball and getting after him kind of like you do in basketball, kind of like you hear at Memorial Gym or a Thompson Bowling Arena, no relation. It, it was it was really cool to get to see that because I, I do feel like it, it. I don't know if we would have seen that early in year yeah. one. Uh, th- that was that was encouraging to me. Yeah, I, to really quickly before I answer Harrison's question, that showed kind of a growth of the fan base. Um, you know, one of my one of my critiques of the fan base, and I don't want to be too critical of the fan base because it's um, both both boring and and our audience, and, and also um, it's it's it we we talk about the soccer. You know, that's what we do. And I, but I think that that's something that showed a greater proportion of the fans within the stadium. We're paying closer attention to the soccer. It wasn't just about the yelling and the beer, which are also great, but the more they kind of pay attention and you see, okay, this is the guy that we don't like. Every time he touches the ball, we're going to identify him. We're going to kind of see that thing makes it makes the game be more about the game, which I think will honestly be helpful to the, to the home performances. Like I uh, mentioned just a few questions ago. So that that is kind of an interesting um, take that you inspired me to have there. Um, but <laughs> as for Harrison's question, uh, yeah, I mean, I think most stats, uh, most counting stats in soccer are, relate to some sort of quality on the ball. Basically everything that exists is, is successful doing this or is not successful doing that, whether it's shooting and turning that into goals, whether that's passing and completing the pass, whether that's dribbling and completing the dribble or losing the ball. Um, off ball metrics are so tough to, to come together with unless you have tracking data. Basically, nobody has tracking data unless they work for a club or a league right now. Um, so, yeah, I, there are ways to do it. I'm going to use right now um, American Soccer Analysis's. Oh my God, analysis is whatever. I'm going to use their goal, goals ASAs. added. Yeah, <laughs> I use ASA's goal goals added metric and specifically look at 
passing and dribbling, because I think those are the two things where you can really see guys uh, make mistakes. And those I think are most um, directly correlated with a touch. That is a mistake. Um, so if you want recommendations for New Jersey this weekend, you know, Wes, you, you mentioned uh, that, that that page is going up there this weekend. I believe it was yep. um, uh, center back, Sean Nealis, who you may recognize as being the older brother of ephemeral Nashville SC player, Dylan Nealis and fullback, John Tolkien, who is a U.S. youth international those are the guys who are the most mistake prone on the ball. If you boo those guys, they might do a bad dribble. They might do a bad pass. <laughs> um, but if you're looking for the next home game uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks here, when CF Montreal uh, comes to town, fullback Mathieu Chouinier and attacking midfielder Ed Hamdi are your best bets. Both of those guys um, score well below average in terms of both the dribbling metric and the passing metric. Um, for what it's worth, our old friend Alistair Johnson would have been number two on the list uh, behind Chouanier if he were still there. So I know, I know <laughs> there's a there's an emotional attachment to Johnston, but he was a pretty mistake prone player on the ball during his time with CF Montreal. And you know that if Alistair were playing against Nashville again, the, people would not people wouldn't have it in him to boo. I don't until think. you know yeah. what he would do within the first five minutes, right? He'd go after Hunt. weather report. Oh. Well, definitely. That was my second guess. He was he'd go after Hani, right? He'd he'd try to make a hard tackle, not a, not to be a bad sport, but just to give that statement of intent. It's similar to what he did to Christian Pulisic that we talked to him about after the Canada U.S. Men's National Team game, a guy he otherwise I'm sure respects and you know and and, and enjoys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you just introduced a new stat: CCRI, sorry, CCRC, the Club and Country Ridicule Coefficient. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna have to put that into our match previews. Who's the guy that fans should go after uh, either because he uh, is going to deserve it or because it might impact him. And I say feelings ball here, right? Boo based on the level of language. If you have kids in the car, shithousery, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what, that, that's how, sure, that's, that, that was how, you know, got started. That's and it. then, and then he did something even worse later. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, he earned it. He more than earned it. And I think maybe he does that thing partially out of frustration because he had the fans on him. So it was your fault that Hani got hit fans. It was your fault. Just kidding. Uh, Justin Belial with the, the first of just a couple final questions here. Walker scored the first MLS goal in team history. He later did the walking celebration, which became iconic. How does the corner flag ring of fire celebration rank among NSC goal celebrations all time? Uh, in, in, in case you missed it, after he scored, not only did he go to the flag and grab it like a mic, he actually attempted poorly, in my view, but I love the effort to sing Ring of Fire. Uh, you, you could hear it picked up on the crowd mic just mm-hmm. a, a little bit on Apple or Fox. Uh, Tucker Hume forever. Back to USL days. Uh, his nickname was Big Bird. It was giving to, given to him um, as an insult by FC Cincinnati fans. He scored against Cincinnati. He flapped his wings like Big Bird. Uh, then he went down into a slide and stumbled onto his face. Uh, so for both of those <laughs> the celebrations, Tucker <laughs> Hume forever. Yeah, some uh, I think some of the celebrations at the USL Park were really good because the supporter section was right at ground level and like five yards behind the goal. So that was pretty cool. But um, for a specific celebration, I don't think I can recall one. Um, you know, the Hani Mukhtar salute is iconic, but it's it's something that he does every time. But, um, you know, the, not only for Walker to sing, and I will never insult somebody's quality of singing. We've had this conversation multiple times, most of them with Jamie Watson. I'm a willing but terrible singer. <laughs> um, but I thought I thought the fact that there was a band around him and it looked like even, um, you know, you had some guys playing guitar, but it looked like Jacob Schaffelberg was was had the awareness to play the bass instead. Yes. Yeah, most iconic Canadian bass player since Getty Lee, probably. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, I won't even try to keep up there unless 
Uh, do you, have you heard of Rush? You never heard of Rush? I've heard of famous Rush. Canadian progressive rock band. Of I have. Although I did think the Nash and Crosby, Stills and Nash was uh, Steve Nash for a while, in which case he would qualify <laughs> as a Canadian bass player. Trevor, first impressions of Apple TV broadcasts and the Whip Around Show. Uh, I think quality is high, potential is high, the ceiling very high for what Apple TV can become. I don't think any of us, uh, Tim, would expect perfection in Week One, but I think mm-hmm. my my biggest challenges were with the Whip Around Show. Uh, there were a lot of them. I think many have been documented by others online. Let's make it about the games, not the hosts. Yep. Uh, and let's trim the hosts. I'm not advocating for anybody to lose their jobs. Let's rotate these people in and out. That's fine. But there was no um, positional understanding, if you will. I think there were two people trying to host the thing. Liam McHugh is the consummate pro at that. Caitlin Kyle can go into a little more analysis. Um, and please, please, please don't turn around and watch the games and block our view. And we're just looking at your backs the whole time. Basic you know, stagecraft 101, never turn your back to the audience. Uh, make it about the games, not about the hosts. Fewer hosts, less cute. There could be plenty of banters, six hours for banters, plenty of time for it. And also, Taylor Twelman, if you're just getting off a plane and you want to chug caffeine and get on air, just stay home next time, man. We have some respect <laughs> for, for the hours you're pulling. That's great. There, there was enough without you. You kept on coming in and BWP had to go out because there weren't enough chairs for him. They kept referencing Christina Uncle, but she wasn't there. And she was the officiating analyst. I didn't I didn't see her there. Maybe she was there at some parts. It was very, it was confusing. They're going to work on that and it's going to get yeah. better. My impression is this is a high floor, high ceiling product that's going to make things a lot better for MLS fans and hopefully eventually grow the game too. Yeah, I- there, there are some kinks that will definitely be worked out. And I think the one thing that you can be really confident in is unlike with ESPN plus or whatever it was, um, local broadcasts, et cetera, Apple is very invested in working out these kinks and doing it quickly. They are not going to sit on things that people think are a problem as long as um, you know it's technologically possible to fix it. The broadcasts themselves, the game broadcasts looked fantastic. They looked absolutely unbelievable and comparison to some of the regional sports network uh, syndicated broadcasts that we got last year. I have zero doubt that those are going to be absolutely fantastic looking all year. The fact that MLS is scheduling most games to overlap with each other felt like a bad idea. I've been complaining about it and I've been one of the, I think, I think I've been a minority voice about this. I think people really like that idea, but the fact that there's no quad box option, there's no multiple game option to sit there and just watch multiple games on your screen at once, like there had been with ESPN Plus, um, for all of its faults, that was something that it did very well. That that takes the the overlapping scheduling into the realm of unacceptable, honestly, to me in terms of in terms of, you know, you get home from the Nashville SC game and you want to watch the games that are all on at the same time and you have to sit there and flip between them. Or you have to watch a whip around show that is still very much a work in progress, as you have just detailed. I did not even bothered to watch it because it was not watchable really to me. Um, those things are not available to stream yet on Apple TV plus. Maybe they are as of, you know, noon on Monday um, to take everybody behind the curtain there. But, um, you know, Sunday night, you could not rewatch some of those things. You can rewatch the games. Um, the technology piece to figure out how to rewatch a whole game instead of rewatching the highlights is, is really clunky, especially on the Apple TV device yeah, on the web it, device. But it's not yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah, on the on the web device, it's a little tricky too. Um, yeah. So the on-screen product for individual games is it was exceptional. Some of the behind the scenes stuff needs to be worked out. I think that that highlights versus rewatch the whole game thing is going to be fixed by this Saturday. That's an easy fix. It's just an interface issue. Um, something that Apple, you know, needed a bunch of people beta testing their product essentially to to figure out the problems with it. Mm-hmm. But 
um, you know, as the whip around show gets more polished, as they kind of figure out what works and doesn't work for people, that may take a few more weeks, but I think it's going to get better too. I, but personally, the one thing that, that is just dismaying to me is not being able to watch, uh, you know, multiple games in, in a, in a multi-box unless you, you know, kind of want to switch back and forth like the whip around show does. Yeah. And if, if you're going to switch around then back and forth, like the whip around show, the whip around show has to enable you to, yeah. to do that quickly and yep. be agile. And I think, I think that that will get better. I, yeah. I agree. Uh, Honestly, as- I think it would make sense if they just had the whip around show with them watching as they were and, and just put it in, in three boxes yeah. of, of games around it. And then you can sure. switch between them arbitrarily. Um, fans obviously won't be able to control <laughs> which game is where, but that's better to be able to see multiple games at once than kind of looking at hosts back as they try to watch it and, and that sort of thing. It's really hard to produce. And I think the learning curve is, is what's stopping them from doing that. And so the best thing about that is they'll learn and they'll, they'll move up the curve uh, as seen and heard on Apple TV. Our good friend, Tony husband had a historic match. Let's head outside in to listen to the game winner for St. Louis city SC over Austin. And now Klaus on the break. Keller across, Klaus inside, and he pokes it into the net, and St. Louis City go into the lead with five minutes to play. The Brazilian intent on setting yet more history on the opening night of the season for the newest team in MLS. How about St. Louis City SC? Thanks again to Apple TV for that audio. They beat the defending Western Conference finalists to become the first expansion team to win its inaugural game since LAFC in 2018. What a performance, and Trevor wants to talk about it. He says, most experts have Austin top two in the West, St. Louis bottom two in the West, given St. Louis's upset of Austin, and he does acknowledge small sample size. Uh, in your opinion, Tim, is it more likely that Austin came into the year overrated or St. Louis underrated? I mean, Austin was overrated last year too, to be fair. <laughs> um, that said, yeah. um, I don't think they're going to lose a ton of games because the defender passes it to a striker who's in alone on the keeper. Uh, the discourse about St. Louis kind of reminds me of Charlotte early in the year last year. People got all excited about a result or two. Um, and I was I was there for their first home game, home game and it was very cool. But you could tell that it was kind of like, hey, this is a team that that is having a nice result. It might not necessarily be a nice team. Um, if you looked deeper than the score, you could see that it was problematic. And I think you see the same things with St. Louis, too. The what the one thing to keep in mind is um, Austin is probably going to be fine. St. Louis might have to be lucky to get into the playoffs. Soccer is a high variance game and and one game sample size is, is very small. <laughs> the better team doesn't always win. And I think while it might be something for Austin to worry about in terms of of dropping one of those bonus games. um, um, The main reason people pick them top two in the West was because they didn't want to have that, uh, that statement laminated and shown to them uh, come October. So maybe, maybe Austin, Austin got a little bump from their, from their (laughs) laminating machine. Maybe so. Bradley Carnell, though, brings that New York Red Bulls pressing style to St. Louis. It is designed by its nature to overcome talent uh, deficiencies. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, they were mature about that approach against Austin. They weren't as um, energy drinky as, as Red Bulls or Philadelphia, but still employed some of that. I think that'll help them maybe raise their, their floor just a little bit, but I would agree with you. 90, 90 minutes, a fluky back pass uh, still props to plucky St. Louis for getting the job done deep in the heart of Texas, where they sent a dagger deep into the hearts of Verde. Uh, Speaking of daggers, Kevin Egan in his former stomping grounds in Atlanta on Apple TV. Almada takes it, edge of the area, shoots, Almada! Spectacular from the World Cup champion! And that's Tiago Almada, the first of two in a brace in stoppage time. 
to beat San Jose. Atlanta played lackluster soccer, was down 1-0, missed several chances. Uh, but the world champion, the Argentine, Tiago Almada, with an epic couple of moments there, low percentage strikes. And Tim, Atlanta, again, they didn't look great in this game against a San Jose team that looks at least in 90 minutes, maybe a little bit improved. Mm-hmm. I wonder if though, if Atlanta's going to be able to ride that individual talent of him, of Araujo, of a DP striker coming into some wins that it maybe doesn't deserve. Yeah. They, they might get some wins that they don't deserve, but will it add up to an aggregate number of wins that is, that is anything that's going to keep the Atlanta fan base happy. If so, they're, They've had one of the most expensive rosters in the league every year that they've existed, and it hasn't worked out for them in the past three years. So um, it's not to say it won't happen this year, but I think I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't guarantee that uh, the ups will outweigh the downs because it hasn't happened in the last couple of years. But it's, it's always good to see exceptional players make exceptional strikes. So mm-hmm. that's fun. It's, it's going to be fun to watch Atlanta, even if they're not necessarily going to be that good. <laughs> there was and a they, lot. And they might still be. Don't yeah, get me wrong. They could be. There was a lot of fun in the opening weekend. Uh, no scoreless draws. Again, I don't think it's going to happen between Portland and SKC at recording time either, but none to date. Anything else stand out to you this week? No, I, I, I the main thing is I want to go back and say the ability to watch these games with high quality pro, uh, broadcasts more than makes up for any sort of lack of, of technology piece or lack of, of production piece that Major League Soccer is still working through with Apple TV earlier in the year. The fact that everything looked good instead of, you know, one game being washed out and one being dark um, was such a a breath of fresh air. And as the season goes along, um, you know, we're going to be able to watch them all and watch them all in high quality. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to. I was really happy with that. It's more of an overarching thing than, uh, than, you know, Oh, Seattle scored four goals against Colorado. Yep. Uh, which, which I did also notice, to be fair. Uh, that That's good. And if you were starting a Seattle player such as Jordan Morris in the Club and Country Soccer League, uh, you would have ridden uh, probably to an easy victory as it is. Head-to-head this year, congrats to Nate for beating me in a tight contest. NSC Nate with the victory in a press time in a journalist derby. You're in a tight battle as we await the postponed SKC Portland game that will determine your result. Going to be a lot of fun, I think, to play a little head-to-head grudge match style uh, in, in fantasy this year. Folks, don't forget to continue to set your lineups. Yeah, yeah. My regrets to everyone who has to play me in these first three weeks before I start forgetting <laughs> to do that. It's like a, a, a reverse NYCFC. Uh, you're going to get worse <laughs> as the season goes. Final whistle, quick word. I want to give a word of congrats to 104.5 The Zone for having the radio deal uh, this year. Uh, that was the business decision by the club that resulted in me not having a radio home. Uh, and while I will miss that gig, I'm excited to support those who who have it now. The station wanted, understandably, to use its own people, and one of those own people is my brother. So congrats to Will. Uh, excited for him. He'll be on the call against Red Bulls this weekend. Um, this product's in good hands. Will actually uh, watched games before I did. He uh, dates back to the Nashville FC era. He knows this club well. So does Lucas Panzika. Jalil Anibaba is going to be tremendous in the color chair. Lucas and, and Jalil did a great job in match one. So two things can be true. I, I miss that gig, uh, but if it's going to go to anybody else, I'm glad it's the people who have it uh, because they're going to care for this product and do a great job. So my content recommendation is listen to radio, especially those home matches. If you can't make it, simulcast it on Apple TV. Man, you said we weren't going to talk about Lily, but it is her birthday this weekend. So that's hey, pretty rude. Happy you birthday, were, but... Lily. This is five. <laughs> five, yep. Oh man. Um, my uh my content recommendation is a little self-serving here, but I did not write this story. Um a, a fantastic story by Mikey Honda Ryland, who um did a version of this in uh, the Nashville scene. Um, there's like a fifty eight hundred word version of his profile of Hani Mukhtar. 
uh, that appears on clubcountryusa.com. It's called How Nashville Became Hani Mukhtar City. Mm -hmm. Um, He got um, an incredible amount of access. He talked to Hani's dad, Abu Bakr. He talked to Hani's girlfriend. Um, He talked to a bunch of people around Hani Mukhtar, put together an incredible story. Um, Read the one in the scene as well. I think it's like 1800 words. They did a fantastic job editing it down. I was like, hey, man, we can't. There's nothing that we can cut here. (laughs) I mean, I cut nothing from it. I I told him, hey, I'm going to make one editorial pass over this. I read it and I was like, nah, nah, you got it. So um, check that out. It's it's, uh, not currently in the top slot, but by the time anybody listens, it should be. So put it there guys and that is the implicit um content recommendation every week here clubcountryusa.com it's where i went to read positional previews from tim this week getting ready for the match match preview of course you can also catch the post game presser midweek pressers um if you love long form content and if you're listening an hour 20 into this podcast you clearly do uh then <laughs> club country usa is the natural written companion to that it was of course the the uh, inspiration of us even doing this in the first place club club country usa.com not Cub Country USA. That's a baseball blog, uh, probably. Uh, thanks to ML Rose <laughs> for providing awesome burgers and wings uh, to me this weekend and to so many Nashville SC supporters and sponsoring this podcast uh, as well. Moon Taxi for the music. Hop on right now. Give us some ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. It takes two minutes, maybe three, if you want to write a quick review. Um, and uh, we may review or we may read a few of those reviews out on air. Uh, here on the show, um, if they're good, if they're bad, we're going to skip them uh, and report them, of course. Just kidding. Uh, subscribe, <laughs> tell a friend, follow us on Twitter. Tim, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Nope, I'm just so glad the soccer is back. I'm very excited to be um, doing things like grinding out game previews. I know it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I absolutely nope. love it. It's you so it. fun. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, like you mentioned, at least three, four more of them. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. There should be even more than that there's going to be a lot more coming in written and podcast form and uh, of course check out the other shows on the 440 sports network as well and we will talk to you next week recapping nashville versus red bulls